Welcome on into the 2-3 podcast. I'm Cam, that is Zach. Episode 10 of season 2, finally a full episode edition. We've got a lot to talk about. It's been a minute since you've heard our voices on the pod, which we apologize for. But there's been a lot happening with Syracuse and this team, national news, with Jim Beheim. You know, we're on a three-game winning streak, lots to cover, so uh, we're excited to uh, get into it and have a full episode today. Yeah, I think it was the last recap I did or the last preview I did. I kind of explained that we haven't been doing as many full episodes recently. We're trying to stick to the preview and recap format, which we will be doing going forward, but um, we wanted to get a full episode in to talk about everything. We got to start, Zach, with this three-game winning streak that we have going. Boston College, Florida State, and now a really, really nice win against NC State. It's looking good right now for for Q's fans. I don't want to like predict anything, but we're in a good spot right now. No, you got to feel really good. You got to feel really proud of this win streak. And we've been knocking on the door all year long for a, a marquee win like this. And finally, last night, NC State, number 23, we get the job done, and it just feels really, really good. And like I said, we've been there. We've been so close. We've been right there, and we finally got over the hump, and it feels really good. The thing is, when you look at the ACC, which has been the storyline for this conference all year long, it's just the mismatch of teams that are within the conference. We're not getting a ton of love right now. We're tied six with Duke and Wake Forest. We're nine and six in the ACC, but... You're not getting any love in this conference unless you're like top three. And even then, you look at teams like Pitt who are just really getting disrespected. They're not in the top 25 at all. The ACC right now is in a really strange place to be in. And we can touch on that in a little bit. But Zach, this is this is a really, really weird like past couple of games. We've seen a team that's just kind of flipped the script. And, you know, it's it's led by Joe, Jesse and Judah. Yeah, I think the first guy we got to highlight here real quick is is Judah. 20 points, 9 assists with only one turnover. And majority of those points, I think, if not, like I think he had like 4 points the first half, if I'm not mistaken. He absolutely erupted the second half, took over, showed great poise, you know, finished, finished well, had those free throws late, and just really closed the game for us and was the point guard we needed, and he, he was just fantastic. The past couple of games, Jim had made mention of this in the presser, which he usually does when when Judah has a really good game. Judah has shown incredible maturity the past few contests where you've seen him. He, he looks like he's a vet almost now. He's, he's got these incredible takes to the rim. I always thought that like when he did that, it was kind of dumb and that he wasn't going to get anywhere, but he proved me wrong and he just keeps doing it and Every single game, I'm just so impressed by this kid and, and what he's able to bring to the table for us. Yeah, I think we've seen him have, you know, good assists margin games before. You know, he's had 10 this year. So, you know, he's 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 getting very close to that with nine against NC State. But there are a few games where, like, you know, maybe that that's a little bit lower. But his vision, these, this last stretch here has been fantastic. You know, he's, he's had those binoculars on. He's good at finding his guys. He's really good at finding that lab with Jesse. I feel like he's been hitting that these last few games like consistently. I mean, obviously, Jesse had a little bit of sh- struggle finishing at the rim at times against NC State. But in general, his court vision and his awareness and just his willingness to pass the ball and look for guys, I feel like you you really get a, feel like a sense that he's he's looking he's looking now. He's been kind of developing this all year, and he's like really looking to find guys. And when you when you finish with with nine assists, like we already said, and only one turnover, that's just a fantastic performance from your point guard so I'm scrolling back on the past games this year for Judah and I'm, I'm noticing a bit of a, a a light switch almost was flipped when he played Notre Dame back in December 3rd he had two assists he had nine points he I remember that game a little bit where he was starting to kind of transition and then he really started to make the transition as soon as we hit ACC play where he hasn't there's only been one game since we started ACC play that he was in single digits and that was against Miami which was just a a strange off game for him you've seen this kid develop into what we thought he was going to be this entire time and what the program knew that he was going to be and 
I got to admit, like going into this stretch, I thought that Samir Torrance was going to be the one that was going to be taking point, that he was going to get the majority of the minutes, that Cy was going to be the one that was actually going to give us any sort of, um, uh, I don't know, production at the point. I'm totally wrong about that, man. Like this kid is really showing that he's able to do it and he's able to do it at such a high level in the ACC contest. Yeah, I do want to give some side some, some flowers there. I do think Sai has has enabled him to get that break, get that reset that he's needed at times throughout this year, where you know he's making fresher mistakes and just needs a reset. And since we have such a great backup point guard in Sai, he he's been able to reset. And I think in a lot of ways, Sai has really helped guide him to this great freshman season he's having. So I, I definitely want to highlight Cy. While he is, you know, maybe not, obviously he is a point guard or backup point guard. I do think he he's really enabled and helped guide Judah into this fantastic freshman season. The other individual that we had talked about before we hit record for a very long time was Jesse and where he's at and where he came from and where we could see him in the future. Jesse is, is an amazing talent at, Syracuse and I think that we kind of overlook him a little bit because we've seen the development of Jesse and it's been slow ish the first couple of years definitely seemed like it was not really going anywhere but then last year it was a complete 180 Jesse has I, I'm gonna say he's the best center in all of ACC and I don't think that that's really far-fetched he is tremendous on the boards. He is the guy that we look to to constantly rebound and keep us in the game in the rebounding category. He had another good game against NC State, and he just shows time and time again that he is almost like reliable when it comes to the boards. Maybe it's not so much in the foul category or the points category, but he gets the job done, man. He's been so close to getting that 2020 NC State 18-16 and this through game winning streak, he's been so close. He's he's been destroying everybody, and like you said, he he is definitely the best center we've had here in a long time. Sixteen rebounds and eighteen points is so close. Samir Torrance would go crazy if that actually happened. I think it will happen, but do you think it's going to happen during like these last couple games that we have? I mean, the direction he's having, like he's only a few away. I mean, like. And he was missing layups out there. I don't know what was going on, but he he was he was missing some. I mean, he still finished with 18 points, and you know he started off, you know, like one through for seven from the field or something. It felt like anything, even a, a super easy finger roll, was just not going in for him. But obviously, he was able to find a way to get it in the back of the rim and finished with 18 points. And credit to him, he's been playing great. We have a lot of really good shooters on this team. We got. JG3, we got Chris Bell. Not many people think about Jesse Edwards being the best shooter that we have on the floor. Zach, he's shooting a thousand, a thousand percent, or one hundred percent, I guess. He's he's one for one, Zach. He's the best shooter that we have right now. That shot was beautiful. <laughs> I I got out from my seat. Obviously, I'm just watching from home, but I got up from my seat and I was so hyped, screaming and yelling. And I think anyone watching the game, whether you're there or watching from home, that was the moment of the game. That was the moment you're like, we're winning this game 100%. Yeah, Jimmy made mention of that. Like, if you shoot that and Jesse makes it, you're not going to win. There's just no way that you, you see that. And the hype that that brought to the bench, like, Quadir went nuts when he saw that, as did everybody else at home. If you're NC State and you see that, you're like, we're not winning this game. There's just no way. They have all the momentum. It was such a hype moment. Do you think that he would have been benched if he had missed that? No, I mean, he had to. There there was no time left in the shot clock. That was a, that was yeah. a forced three. One thing interesting, though, is I, I saw somewhere on Twitter that they 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 like low-key practice three-point shots. They don't actually take it in scrimmages or anything like that. But after practice, him and Moo take some three-point shots just in case, you know, they need to. So it's kind of cool that, like, it's a, it's a little bit in their tool belt. Like, they're prepared to if they absolutely have to. And this is a situation where – and his, his form, by the way, I know a lot of people have mentioned this too, but his form actually looked it looked good. I wasn't, I, I wasn't you know, like – I wasn't, uh, you know, cringing at, at a shot. His, 
it, it looked good. Yeah, it looked really good. I was very impressed by it. I do want to see moves for him. Do you think it would be all over the place, or do you think that he's got like just natural form like Jesse does? I mean, any guy that that size, unless they're like a true certified shooter, does look, look a little awkward because they're just so big. I mean, like just think of their three throw shots. Like they're just so long. Their arms are are like eight feet long, and they're just like very. It's just like it's just very unorthodox to, to look at. But uh, I mean, I guess we'll see. I mean, obviously, Mu has a DNP in in these, this last stretch here, but. I, uh, you know, if, if we ever need to see it, then, uh, he, he's, he's supposed to be practicing for it. So, uh, I guess we'll, we'll see if that day ever comes. The last J that I want to talk about is Joseph Gerard, the third, we've talked about it a couple times. We had touched on it a couple times in the recaps. I think that we can confidently say Zach, that this is Joe's team. It is absolutely Joe's team. He is making the push that he needs to. Uh, his senior year, he didn't have that great of a game against NC State, but he's just shown during the stretch that he is the leader out there. He leads in his own way. He had a huge game against Florida State. He is a fantastic talent and just somebody that Cuse Nation is going to be talking about for years to come. The amount of just backlash that he was getting the first couple of years was insane to think about now that he's actually performing at a level that is just exceeding expectations. Um, when he does inevitably leave Syracuse, it's going to be a very, very sad day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, got to give all the flowers you can to Joe. He's playing great. And I think one thing I do want to just mention here is that I think we are so lucky in this, or like it's, it's a huge advantage that Joe has three years of PG and ball experience under his belt because there's times the stretcher, especially against NC State, when he was just taking the ball up the court and it gave us a different look. He's able to get some of his three-point shots in. And I think it's just a huge advantage that we have so many ball handlers outside of Judah. I mean, obviously, we also have Sai on the bench and even like Quadir is a point guard technically. So there's so much ball handling. And I think it's really great that uh, Joe also has that. And not to mention... His ability just to back down on guys and do post moves and like he's really extended his game this year and just to just give a little more flowers to JG3. He's just been playing fantastic. Definitely one of the best shooters in the ACC. I'm a little shocked that I'm going through the draft boards and the only person that I'm seeing on these draft boards is is Judah. I'm kind of shocked about Jesse. I'm really surprised about Joe. I think that Joe is is pretty much pro ready. That being said, I don't know if he's necessarily NBA ready, Um, but I'm going through and I'm like, really, nobody's given any love to these Syracuse players. And I don't really understand why Joe is one of the best shooters in college and the ACC. Yeah, I mean, it makes you wonder, especially because he is having such a great senior season and, you know, really doing well within the league especially within just league play alone. He, you know, there was a time he he was leading score within just ACC ACC play alone. But I, I just think the, the first thing people like look at in the, the first scare for any scout or, or report you see is his, his size. And it's not quite the caliber that you typically see the successful in, in the NBA. I do want to echo what you said. And I think he is pro levy ready. I don't know if it's necessarily NBA, but I definitely could, he could definitely play ball somewhere and get paid for it. That's, that's a fact. And I, I, will, I will stand by that same. And I think most would too. I came across a comparison on one of the draft profiles. It seemed like it was just somebody that, you know, somebody had made. Um, That was so stupid to say, but it was like a a very amateur level website is what I'm trying to say. But uh, yeah, somebody, somebody out there made it. One of the comparisons that they drew was him to Jimmer Fredette. And you had said, and I, I thought about it afterwards. It's such a stupid comparison because they're from the same town. They're both shooters. Like, obviously, he's going to be compared to Jimmy Fredette, but it does make a little bit of sense. Him and Jimmy Fredette have sort of the same play style, but you made a really good point that Jimmer definitely balled out when he was in college. Yeah, I don't have his style lines here, but I, I do know, like, his longevity and just, just also what he did in, like, the tournament. I mean, obviously, Joe has, has had some really good highlights in the tournament as well, but just overall what he did to, and brought his team 
Jimmer like was a fantastic college player and is, is, is like remembered as like one of the top college players and, and one of the top shooters in college, like in like in not maybe not history, but he's he's definitely a top shooter in college basketball and he'll he'll be remembered that for quite some time. The last duo that I want to touch on from this NC State game is Chris Bell and Malik Brown. Malik has definitely solidified his role in the starting lineup, but first with Chris. 11 points in this. He played all but six minutes in this contest. A pretty solid game from Chris Bell. I think that he's starting to kind of realize what his role is on the team. And I think that's really important when you're a freshman, when you were struggling like he was, just to know where you are, where you belong on the team, what they need from you, I think is very important. I think that's what Jim had been trying to point out to him all along. I love his pump fake from the three and then like a dribble or two and just like that pull up jumper. He's been, he's been super consistent with that. And when, you know, this recent stretch here, last few games, he has struggled from three, only one for six against NC state, but you know, he has more tools in his bag and he showed that. And he, you know, he does finish with 11 points. So I don't know that that look is so clean and it seems like, you know, he, he's got to be at least, you know, 80% from that look when he, that little pump fake, Double or two jumper is so clean and, and it seems like one of his second go-tos and I'm glad he's going to it. I'm glad he's, you know, coming within the three-point line and showing showing off more of his game. Malik has been balling out. He definitely deserves the starting role. I thought it was interesting that um, he, he kind of went on a little bit of a skid of recent memory. He he wasn't playing too great, wasn't getting too many minutes. Benny was starting to get a little bit more minutes than he was, but I, I you know, Malik is such a consistent threat when it comes to rebounding. When his point totals are going down, his rebounding is not going down at all. It's still staying around seven, seven, five, and six. And that's all we needed from from a forward was just somebody to be able to compliment Jesse. And he's doing a great job of that. He's he's just consistency. He is Mr. Fundamentals like you always say he is and just he just keeps doing his thing out there. There's nothing more that you could say about that. Yeah, he's just super solid. Like, you know, nothing about his game is super flashy or crazy, but he he just he he gets his spot, you know, and like he, he, because of he, his knack to, for the ball and the knack to get into the right spot at the right time, guys are able to set him up so easily. So many of his points come from from nice lobs or good passes or dishes from, from Jesse or, you know, lobs from Judah. So a lot of his points come from just being at the, at the right place at the right time. And in a lot of ways, like because of where he is and guys looking for him, his, his, his offense is, is kind of easy. You know, he's not trying to shoot three point shots. He's not trying to do anything crazy. Like he does have like, you know, every once in a while he'll do like a reverse layup or, or something, you know, or a dribble or two, but most of his, his, his points are, are come from great passes and just good offense from from players finding him and feeding him. So, I think that's just. I think Benny should take a, a you know a note from that. You know Benny's out here shooting threes and Benny like is working so much harder for his points. And I think he, you know, I think he's got to maybe reconsider what Malik's able to do just by being in the right spot at the right time. Not to mention all the beyond all the things. Malik does as well, just all the little things, what he's able to bring on defense. But I don't know, something about just being at the right spot at the right time is is is, is doing a lot for Malik Brown. This is a bit of a big question and sort of leads into the next thing that we really wanted to talk about, which is Benny. Uh, do you think that Benny needs to change his play style and just sort of settle down a little bit? Or do you think that he should just kind of keep doing what he's doing, but just sort of I don't know, find different looks or, or something like he's got to change something. And I'm wondering like what that something is. Honestly, I think he's got to, he's got to be more simple. Obviously he's had some success and had some solid games where, you know, he's made two or three threes, you know, he's finished with, you know, like 15 points or whatever, or like, you know, double digit points. So he's had some success when he, when he has shot the three, but I just think he's not consistent enough to be, you know, to have the green light. And anytime he shoots a three and it doesn't go in, I think Jim is on, on the sideline kind of ticked off. And it's just sometimes it's moving the full of the offense, you know, okay, like we'll take that shot. But I just think honestly, if he simplifies his game and, and like I was just mentioning, if he takes a page from Malik's book and kind of just focuses on being in the right spot and just and just simplifying the game, because 
like I've already said, Malik's game is in a lot of ways, and I don't want to take anything away from him because he is a fantastic, great player, but in a lot of ways, it's pretty simple. Like, obviously, you need to be in the right spot, but beyond that, like, he's not, like, you know, doing crazy moves or dribbling on guys. You know, he's just, you know, playing good basketball and being in the right spot at the right time and getting set up by his teammates. And if Benny is able to do more of that, then I think he could find more success. Well, Benny kind of showed that a little bit against Florida State where he was, he got quite a few minutes. He got nearly 20 minutes and he he didn't really like light up the score sheet or anything. He had three rebounds. He had two points, but he was still at the right place in the right time. Malik wasn't necessarily having the best game in the world. So it was a bit of a chance for him to come out and get some minutes on the floor, but he really wasn't doing anything too flashy. He was just at there the right place at the right time. I think Jim may have touched on it a little bit, sort of saying the same thing, but that's really all he needs to do. He had two steals as well. Just being able to do the little things when you're struggling that badly, when you need to basically do a full reset and just get back into the flow of things, get back into, you know, seeing the ball go through the net or at least just touching the basketball is huge for a player's confidence when they're going through something like that. So if Benny's able to just kind of simplify things, I think that he would, like you said, he would he'd be a, in a much better spot than he is right now. Because interestingly enough, like if Benny was able to kind of reach the full potential that we've seen flashes of in his two years, he, I think, would would be the better player out of him and Malik Brown. Obviously, the thing that Benny struggles with is consistency, and it's it's really up and down for him. And there's games where he, he's just kind of lost out there, and then there's games where you're like, you know, he's doing NBA moves and having showing huge signs of athleticism with blocks and just crazy plays, and just you're like, whoa, like who's this guy? And <laughs> in a lot of ways, like if Benny was consistent, like in a lot of ways, like in terms of athleticism and some of the flashes we've seen, he in a way could be a better player overall just because of like his game. It, it could be is such an elevated level compared to a more, and I don't want to take anything away from league, but it, it is just a little bit more of a simple game. So that's an interesting thing too, is like in a lot of ways, like Benny could be, and that's kind of, you know, the unfortunate story for Benny is like what he could be is just insane. And it's fortunate that he has not been able to find that here at Syracuse so far. Do you think that there is still a spot on this team for Benny Williams? I mean, regardless of him starting or not, he still gets an opportunity every game. Obviously, this most recent game only logging three minutes. It's quite low. I'm sure he's not happy about that. And I don't want him to be content coming off the bench. But I think he does need to, because he's going to get opportunity. Every game here going forward, I definitely believe Jim is going to give him a go. There's times where Malik's going to need a break. You know, Malik is still kind of, developing into the starting role and there will be opportunity for Benny to go out there and and show off what he can do. So there's still opportunity for him to do something. And I don't want him to be coming off the bench, but I want to, I would love to see him like take that role and and just run with it and, 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 you know, try to be, you know, six men of the year, see what he can do. Obviously there's only five games here left in the season, but I think there, there's still a role. There's still opportunity for him to, to, to show something off. And it's definitely not time to, you know, hang up towel and just be like, yo, like I lost my starting role. Like what's the point? There's still, there's still opportunity here. Well, you mentioned six men of the year. Like there's no other bench players that are able to provide the level of production that he is able to provide. Now, maybe it's not on a consistent level, but the ceiling is the highest for him. And it's by far the highest for him. Maybe you can make the argument that Justin Taylor could do well, but I don't think that Justin can provide what Benny can provide when Benny is really, really going. He, it's really, really frustrating and and almost sad because you you look at Benny and Jim even mentioned that he is a a freshman in his eyes this year. He was coming into this with a clean slate, everything. And he still is performing at a level that like you're just like scratching your head and you're like, what more should he be doing you look at you look at his production you look at his production over the past season and you just see everything trending downwards everything trending downwards minutes points assists 
And then you have these little tiny peaks where he was doing pretty well. There was a three, four game stretch where he was scoring in double digits and it was looking really, really good. And then it just kind of falls off a cliff and it's like, you know, what is he doing? Is he not moving enough? Is he, is it something simple like that? Or is he just really not in the good headspace where he should be? It's, it's really, really sad. But like you said, there's a really good opportunity to be able to be six man of the year. There is still plenty of opportunity for him, plenty of chances for him on this team. But you got to admit, like with this fan base and everything, the question is going to become, is Benny going to stick around next year? And at this point, Zach, I don't really have an answer for that. I don't know if he will be or not. Yeah, that discussion is is definitely worrisome. Um, especially, you know, he, he missed this, he missed that Virginia game a few games ago, you know, took a personal day and obviously, you know, you can't blame him. I'm sure he's going through an insane amount of pressure and just, I can't imagine the mental journey he's going on outside of just, you know, the, the physical journey of playing college basketball. So, you know, he's definitely gone through it and it seems like, you know, Taj are, are looking like maybe he, he might look for opportunity elsewhere. And a lot of ways you, you can't blame him. Uh, I mean, regardless of what he decides to do, like, you know, I think he's a great player and I wish him the best. And I think no matter what, like this, it, it, whatever it is, if it transfers, or if he stays, like it's going to be part of his story. And I, and I hope, and I, I believe that it could be a, a positive part of his story, whether it's, you know, he transfers and is able to blossom into something in a year or two, or if he stays and he's able to, blossom into the star we all knew was able to get his starting job back and I guess we'll see though you know it's a very touchy subject I don't know what the answer is I don't know if the coaching staff necessarily knows what that answer is I I hope he's getting support that he needs and is looking for but at the end of the day just you know want to send him love and and hope that uh he's able to kind of figure things out we had kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but the state of the ACC is just in complete shambles right now. Complete shambles. You've got Pitt, who is being utterly disrespected, should be a top 25 team. I have absolutely no idea why they aren't. You've got teams that are not performing up to the caliber that we thought that they were going to, like a Duke or a UNC. They're sort of rebuilding. They're sort of rebuilding their programs and everything. But still, these are very, very high-end teams, and they're on the bubble. Clemson is on the bubble. Clemson just beat Florida State by 40 tonight, Zach. The ACC is just absolutely everywhere. And even though it's everywhere, and even though nothing is really consistent in it, I still feel like they're being disrespected on a national level. 100%. Obviously, we're biased because we're within the ACC and we want the the league to be respected. But I think, you know, the script of last year is getting repeated this year. And everyone said, oh, ACC's down. And it just feels like the rhetoric is if Duke or UNC is down, or in this year we kind of have two two blue bloods being down in Duke and UNC. If, if those two programs are, aren't, aren't, you know, the, the teams that we've seen in recent history, then it's like, okay, the ACC sucks and, like, who cares about them? It's kind of what the feels like national attention kind of vibe that we get, which is really unfortunate because we have some really good programs. Like you said, Pittsburgh deserves way more respect. We have Virginia, which obviously because of their style of play, I feel like they kind of get slept on too because it's a little slower and a little more defense oriented, obviously. But it's just a bummer that we're, we're not getting the respect we deserve. I mean, I guess we'll have to prove everyone wrong again in the tourney and, you know, have what four teams in the lead eight and two teams in the final four. Like, I don't know. The proof is in the pudding of last year, and it just seems crazy that people are looking past the ACC. I think we have really talented teams, and I think uh, we'll have a good opportunity and a good showcase this this postseason. So you're a little bit more in tune with the projections than I am. How many teams are being projected into the tourney this year? I think, I think they're still saying like six or seven, but obviously, you know, that six or seven has been changing all year. I mean, right now, Cuse is tied for six in the league with, with Duke and Wake Forest. And like you were just mentioning, Clemson somehow found themselves on the bu- bubble after being after leading the conference, being the team to beat for so long this year. 
being ranked just a few weeks ago, somehow fallen to the bubble territory, which just seems like insane to me. And I don't know. It seems wild. And it seems like while we are in the middle of the pack because of where things are and previous Rosses and just overall resume, it just seems like it's kind of a crapshoot at this point. And given the national disrespect this league is getting, it's really hard to say what, what will come selection Sunday. So you say top six teams. So that means that Virginia, Pitt, Miami, Clemson, NC State, and for more than likely Duke would get in. So you could argue that if we're able to beat Duke, and we're able to beat Wake Forest, and we're able to get sixth in our conference, we could theoretically get a look for possibly a selection. The problem is, is that you look at our season, we don't really have, we have one good win now. We have the NC State win. We don't really have any bad losses in the ACC. You've got Virginia Tech, which was a definitely not a good loss. It was, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a bad loss, but it is definitely not a good loss. I would say that, you know, it's a tough case to make for Cuse to be considered now, but I still feel like we're getting a little bit of disrespect for maybe our not great out of conference schedule, but still, I think that we should be getting a lot more looks than we are, than we are or are not. I think general perception for, for hopeful fans right now is that we're like on the bubble of the bubble. So <laughs> given that we were like a game ago or like, you know, three games ago, we were like not even the NIT to be on the bubble of the bubble or to maybe be on the bubble of the bubble, I think is you'll take that, especially with some good opportunities of Duke. And obviously, I mean, Pittsburgh is our, our only quad one opportunity left on our five game stretch here to finish out the season. But we definitely have good opportunity coming up here. And like I said, to be on the bubble of the bubble, which is a very odd phrase to say, I'll take it. It's just such a funny thing to say, the bubble of the bubble. I'm looking at our out-of-conference losses that we had suffered earlier this year. Colgate is very, very good. They are 20-8, and and they're first in the Patriot League. Granted, the Patriot League is basically a nothing league. And Bryant, who I hate saying because I hate their team, is 16 and 10. They're not bad. They're fourth in their league too. So we don't have too many bad losses, even outside of the conference, just the Virginia tech loss. You'd probably argue is, is our worst loss. And that's not even too bad. So like we've been saying, there's a lot of really, really good opportunities coming up. But the thing is, is that we're going to have to win like four of the next five. We're going to have to win against Pitt. We're going to have to win against Duke. There's going to have to be some big wins coming up. And then we'll get some conversations going about where we can be. We got to make some big runs in the ACC tourney, which we know we're not necessarily known for. So it's a lot of challenges coming up. But Zach, if we're able to get this done with this young team, it's going to be very, very, very special for this group. I mean, things are heating up. We're, we're things are starting to click. We're, we're getting over that hump. We've been knocking on the door, knocking on the door all year long, like we've we've already mentioned. So trajectory-wise, things are looking good. I mean, obviously, historically, we've, we've struggled to finish seasons. We've struggled to perform well in the ACC tournament. So historically, things look a little shaky, but given where we are, I'm feeling good. Three-game winning streak. You know, we have a huge game at our house at Duke coming up, which is going to be a huge mass-up and, and definitely a, a huge opportunity. And I just I want to touch on, too, that, you know, we have – Duke, Clemson, Pitt, but then we have, you know, some some trap games potentially in Georgia Tech and Wake Forest, which obviously there's a pretty solid program, especially Wake Forest, but you, you can't lose those, you know, you, you can't go on to, you know, have these huge wins and then to to, to, to throw it all away and potential trap game. So we have a, a tough stretch through and through here, these five games, each and every single one of the matter. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited for this Duke one now coming up. Well, I mean, not only can we not lose them because our trap games, we also can't lose the Wake Forest game because it's the two, it's the 20th anniversary of the 2003 team and it's senior day. Like you can't lose on senior day. That is illegal. You can't do that. So I, I, I'm excited for what's to come. It feels like it's 
we've got a decent amount of time until we hit that Wake Forest game, but we really don't. It's basically a you know two weeks until we hit that Wake Forest game. We're going to be learning a lot about this team coming up um, over the next two weeks. I wanted to recap every we, Zach. We missed a lot of time. <laughs> we missed a lot of national news for our program that we haven't had the time to really go over. And I just wanted to give us a, an opportunity to, you know, sort of have our takes. I wanted to hear your take on everything that Jim had mentioned in his little interview saying that Miami te- teams like Miami have bought their way to success with their NIL deals and everything. I wanted to get your take on all of that going on. Obviously the noise has basically died down at this point, but we never got the chance to speak about, you know, how we feel about uh, Jim's opinions and, and basically the NIL overall. Yeah, obviously we've been in the the national spotlight for kind of the wrong reason recently, obviously, like you said, that has died down. So that's good. We're, we're on the right, you know, news line now, like on a three game winning streak, beating number 23 SC state. Love to see that. Don't love to see the other things in the, in the headlines <laughs> from a few weeks ago. But yeah, honestly, like, you know, obviously that ship has sailed, but I do think Jim's main point of the NIL and teams, obviously as a head coach, you can't come out and be like, yo, teams are buying players and buying teams as a head coach in the league. But his main underlying point is, you know, true. And with the loosey goosey rules in the NIL and, you know, the recruitment that is obviously being influenced by NIL, even though it's technically not, and no one will say it is, everyone knows it is. I mean, we're even culprit of that with our, with our, with our uh, commitment of Elijah Moore and his NIL deal with Adam Weitzman. So like it's happening everywhere. Everyone's using this as, as a tool to not, but to recruit people. So it's it's interesting. I understand he can't say it because he is a head coach, but obviously he does make a fair point, and it is a little bit. I just think people in general, because of the way the program was at the time, you know, we're losing games. You know, people just are very quick to to jump on Jim, and obviously Jim kind of leans into that because he isn't the most cordial at times with reporters and everything like that at times. <laughs> So people just uh, he, he's kind of easy to, to to jump on, and when people start jumping on him, the whole the whole country was jumping on him, and unfortunately, it was a little bit embarrassing to kind of go through that. But I don't know. I I don't think anything he said was like insane. Even though I guess you you shouldn't say that as a head coach. I guess you you can. I will say that. Well, I think that you bring up a really good point about the recruitment of Elijah Moore and just the recruitment process of all of the individual all of the players that we were trying to pick up in this this past recruiting cycle i guess you can say past recruiting cycle now because it's basically over um i guess it's still going on but adam weitzman has basically put down six figure deals for all of these recruits to come to syracuse and it's just the you and i had talked about this basically when it was going on I think that we're both in agreement that it's it's kind of weird to be going through this, like giving a six-figure deal to a 17, 18-year-old to say, hey, come play at this university that I have no affiliation with. It's really cool that he does it from a fan's point of view, but if you break it down, it's, it's kind of weird. And the guy seems like a really cool guy. We don't know anything about him, but he, he seems like he's really nice, and he does a lot of... He, he does a lot to gain um, uh, exposure to the program, which is very beneficial, but I don't know when you break it down, like when you really think about it, step back and think about it, it's, it's kind of strange that he does it. And I'm not necessarily sure if I'm really the biggest fan of it, Zach. Yeah. Honestly, like my, my honest reaction is, 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 is very similar to yours. Obviously the the part of me that wants to compete with, with, with the big dogs who are, you know, doing these NIL deals and getting these five-star recruits and, you know, these like, in a lot of ways, like game changing recruits, you know, like the five stars and the top recruiting classes that all these blue buds get, 
it, it makes me excited that we're going to be able to maybe compete with that. But at the same time, my, my heart is kind of like feels, feels odd and feels wary about, like you said, I think what really gets to me is that these aren't players yet. Like it'd be different. Like I love NIL when it comes to Joe Girard and, and Dunkin' Donuts. And, you know, you can walk in in Syracuse Dunkin' Donuts and, and see some Joe Girard ad for, for, for NIL. I like that. That makes sense. He's a player. Yeah. I like seeing, you know, Buddy Bayheim, the Bayham brothers on, on billboards in Syracuse when you go to the game. Like that kind of stuff makes sense. So they're established. They're in the league. They're on the team. They're like a part of the community and local, right. local, you know, businesses reach out and like do stuff with with players who are there already and obviously money and you know nil is deserving and and that's point but a 16 17 year old junior who's in high school who you're flashing like a six-figure deal at to not but to come to you this school is this like odd and and what does that do to, to Elijah Moore, to, to all these players, you know, down the line to other programs we've seen, like what, what do our fan base do to, to Benny Williams, who was a five-star recruit who's been struggling and this, the criticism that, that he, that he's under. Now what are they going to do with Elijah Moore who has a six figure deal? Who's getting paid quote unquote to be here. What are they going to say if he has any freshman struggles? You know, it just feels like there's there's some good to it, but there's also some some scary and some bad to it as well. I'll be completely honest with you. My first gut reaction when I saw this was, there's no way that the NIL can can sustain this. There's going to be some sort of cap on this because this whole process doesn't feel like what the NCAA wanted at all. They were so adamant for so many years that. Players are amateur athletes that they will not be paid. And then this comes along. It's really, really good in idea, but in execution, it is like it's gone way off the rails, way, way, way off the rails. And I, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you. The whole buddy cereal, that was fantastic. Going into a Dunkin' Donuts and seeing JG3 stuff, because yes, they are already part of the community, but when you use a six figure deal is a bargaining chip to go to a university that you have no affiliation with. Again, Adam seems like a good guy, but it just doesn't really seem very ethical. And I don't think it is a smart idea to be waving this kind of money around at 16, 17 year olds. I'm basically echoing what you just said, because we're in a complete agreement with this, that it just, it doesn't seem right. And I don't know what the fix would be unless it's like, you can't make these deals until an athlete actually commits to the university that that would feel more i guess ethical if that's really the word that we're going to use for it i know i just used a little bit ago but um it, it just the whole process doesn't seem like it's in a good spot to sustain itself it just doesn't feel right at all uh from a fan's perspective and also just from like you know, a, a member of the community perspective, it just does. It feels really, really weird to be considering this. Yeah, honestly, I think that could be a, a good rule change. Is like you can't sign NIL until you, you know, are committed to to a program. And I think I would go forward and say, based on where NIL is now, I don't think NIL should be involved in recruitment at all. Like, obviously, like that's a rule, but it's so loose and so there's so many loopholes and obviously it, it is being it but people are signing nil deals like prior to being committed to teams or like being in conversations about nil before committing to teams and that is just super shady and it just i just feel like it's just a step up for college basketball in the wrong direction you know it's bringing us too close to the nba and the antics of Obviously, we will never be the NBA. The NBA is in a totally different galaxy, but it's a step towards the antics and the business of the NBA that, you know, kind of breaks the charm of college basketball. And I just would hate to see it. And you see glimpses of it already. And I just think it needs to, it needs to be, you know, as much as the NCAA kind of does too much and doesn't have a good, you know, reputation of, of having good rules and being fair to players. And historically, I do think they need to get on this one. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I do think that these athletes should be paid somehow. I think that college athletes definitely deserve that, especially in football and basketball and the the bigger sports. But this just certainly is not the way to do it. And I really don't think that you'll be seeing this for too much longer in the state that it's in right now because there are just so many loopholes with it. They have to be tightening it down somehow to be able to enforce. Like when you when you get to the point where you're basically bribing um, adolescence, it's, it's not, it's not good. It's, it's basically legal at that point. So, um, I don't see the NCAA enforcing this for much longer and I really hope that they don't just to fall back on it. Uh, we, we had sort of mentioned him, but Elijah Moore, uh, very, very important to mention that he is our first commit of 2024. He is a four star guard who can just absolutely do it all. And, uh, I feel bad that we're kind of talking about him in sort of a negative light, but he does it, it very, very positive that we're able to reel him in. And um, it sounds like from the things of it that he is going to be around for, for a couple of years, which is very promising. Yeah, he said in his commitment video that he, he plans on attending Syracuse for the next two, three, or maybe four years, which I feel like is a great mentality to have. And I think a lot of guys, especially in this recruitment age, especially with having this NIL deal under his belt, and just being, you know, in hopes to probably go to the league and be a one and done. I'm surprised that he he's kind of committing to to do the process, and he he's like foresees him potentially being here for all four years, which I think is a great mentality. And ultimately, I just love to see that. I do think it's kind of interesting that we have not landed anybody for the 2023 class, which is a little bit frustrating. I assume. I mean, in years past, this is what it's meant, but I assume, Zach, that'll mean that we'll be tapping into the transfer portal a little bit, or at least Jim will be relying more on the freshmen. Kind of depends on who leaves and who stays, but I imagine that we're going to be looking at the transfer portal a little bit more than we probably would uh, in years that we get more uh, freshmen commit. Yeah, I mean, maybe, I mean, this is something we talked about before we, we hit record too, is maybe the recruitment process kind of turns into convincing your, you know, your senior senior guys to uh, st- stick around for a year. Maybe that's a different little angle you you have, given that these guys do have a COVID year and, and Jesse and, and Joe and I think even Samir have, have that COVID year and maybe your recruitment kind of shifts to be like, how can we convince these guys to run it back for one more? I, I don't know. Obviously, I want the best for them and whatever that is at the end of the day. But if those guys come back, that's a different, different, uh, whole, whole different story. Real quick of the two of them, Jesse and Joe, who do you think would be best suited for going to the pro pros right now? Doesn't necessarily need another year of, uh, you know, another year at Syracuse. Obviously we want both of them too, but who do you think of the two of them would be best suited to go pro right now? I think they're both pretty close in their own respect, but if I had to choose one, just I think I have to go with Jesse. I think, especially in this recent stretch, he's been playing fantastic, and I think you know I do think he has some development, especially when it comes to physicality. And I think we even see that, saw that against NC State. He's going against that 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 dude Burns Jr. is a tank. That guy is like a unit and a half, so I can't blame him. But there's guys like that size, maybe, you know, built a little different in the league. And I mean, he still had a great game, but I do think that physicality limited. And that's something we've we've echoed and repeated and said so many times this year. And I think that's like the one asterisk next to his name is like physicality, like a little unsure about that. But beyond that, I think he, he is, I, I, I've made comparisons to him and Rudy Gobert before. And I think, you know, if he, if he's able to develop into that type of player, and I think he, he, he is that that's the comparison I draw. He could be that type of guy. His, his blocking numbers are there. His defense is there, you know, and, and his offense, you know, is there as well. So I think, I think I really do think Jesse could, could be in the NBA. I do think he has a little bit more development and that's mainly just his strength and competing against that physicality. Dude, 6'9", 275 pounds. The man is a unit. Could you imagine going up against that, trying to out-rebound that? Dude, I mean, I don't think anyone other than Jesse had a chance to do anything near him. Like, imagine 
anyone else on the floor even touching him, they would have just crumbled into like little flakes. I don't know. That guy's a unit and, you know, he played a great game. Obviously fouled out late there and was a huge reason why we were able to close that one out. But he's a unit and, and again, just a really great player. So the next game will be against Duke. It's going to be an orange out at the JMA Wireless Dome this Saturday. You will hear all of our preview uh, on on Duke and what we expect from them. But in your own judgment, Zach, who do you want to have the biggest game on the team? Do you think it should be one of the seniors? Do you think Judah is due for one? Who would you like to see absolutely go off? Obviously, we always want everybody to go off, but who do you think? I think JG3 is due for prime time showcase against Duke. You know, this is in the Dome. You know, last massive home game potentially in his college career. Obviously, we do have Senior Day too, and in Georgia Tech. But this is a huge, huge matchup against Duke. You're at home, senior year. You're having a great year. I think I think this is this is his game to go off. That was exactly the man that I was going to say too. Is JG three? He, I would love to see him go off. He he seems to do pretty well in the ESPN games, as the team does not do well in the ESPN games. What did you say that you you'd mentioned to me earlier? What did you say our record was on ESPN this year? I'm forgetting now, but it's like Owen three or Owen four. We don't have too many primetime ESPN. No, like not ESPN to you or ESPN you. Just straight up ESPN. We only have had a few this year, but. Our record is like 0-3 or 0-4. So hopefully we can change the script on that one against Duke on Saturday. But nonetheless, it's going to be a big matchup. So like I said, you'll be hearing from us for the preview of that one. Going forward, it'll be previews and recaps. Hopefully we can get a full episode in as well. But I believe that we are back to regular programming as we had promised to you. Zach, it feels good to be back. A nice full episode. And for the fans, you will hear from us in the preview. Until then, we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Let's go Cuse.